Hey ladies, and welcome to the Water with Lemon podcast. This is Emma Cook, your host, and I am so glad you are here listening today. This is a podcast by a 20-something for 20-somethings in hopes that we can be encouraged, inspired, and challenged in this crazy time of life. So grab something refreshing and let's get going. Hey ladies, Sheila Walsh joins me today to talk about prayer and the Lord's desire to be in conversation with His people. Her desire to give practical examples of what it looks like to be in constant prayer is so evident as she tells her story. And so I hope you're able to take a few of her suggestions away from the episode and hope you find ways to remind yourself to pray throughout the day. And you guys, I cannot tell you enough how much I enjoyed this conversation with Sheila. Definitely going on my list of favorite conversations I have had on the show. And I'm not just saying that. It truly, truly is. And so I am so excited for you to listen to it. So let's get going. Well, welcome to the podcast, Sheila. I am so excited to have you. I've been so looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Emma. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course. Would you just kind of start us off, tell us a little bit about you and a little bit about what's going on in the life of Sheila? Well, um, my husband Barry and I live in Dallas, Texas, but you can probably tell by my accent I didn't start there. I was born, <laughs> I was born in Scotland, and mm-hmm. so um, I came to America when I was, I think, about 26. I was signed to an American Christian record label, mm-hmm. and um, actually didn't meet my husband until I was 37 we, and we got married and then we have one son who is um, 23 years old and he's a grad student at Houston Baptist and he's pretty much the joy of our life I mean he's just mm-hmm. an amazing person I mean coming from you and Barry I mean what else do you expect <laughs> okay could have been <laughs> trust me it could have been anything <laughs> That is so fun, though. I had no idea that you did not meet him. You said until you were 37? Yeah, till I was 37. Yeah, that is that is awesome. I feel like, you know, most people I have on my show, I start talking about their 20s, and they're like, oh, I met my husband when I was mm-hmm. 19, got married, you know? And it's yeah. not as often that you hear the stories of, no, I met my husband when I was 37, 43, you know, somewhere out there. And so what was it like, you know, I want to ask you about your 20s because my podcast is mostly geared towards ladies in their 20s. So what was kind of that like, like the 20s? You said you moved here in your 26. I'm about to be 26. So holla there. Holla, that's a good age. (laughs) (laughs) So what was that like moving here and then like up until when you met your husband? You know, it was it was really different coming from a country like Scotland. Um, I went to seminary in London when I was mm. um, 19. So after I graduated, um, I, I really went to seminary because I thought God wanted me to be a missionary in India. That was what I was wow. kind of head, headed for. But my steps got kind of redirected and I started working with Youth for Christ. But mm. one of the things that was so interesting to me when I first came to America I was opening for you probably won't know this artist but it was a guy called Phil Kagi he's like an amazing your mother will know amazing <laughs> guitar player and and I was I mean I was a kind of a 
kind of a punk rocker from Scotland. I mean, I had short, spiky purple hair and I wore, <laughs> you know, le- leather pants. And so I remember at one of my first concerts, people getting up and walking out just because oh, of how I no. looked. And that was so, I, I had never experienced that before because I come from a country where less than 2% of our population even go to church, never mind mm-hmm. love Jesus. So I was not used to being judged on my appearance. I was used to being judged on my character. And that was a hard thing to get to get used to, thinking that that, that there had to be a certain image if you were going to be um, a Christian artist or, mm-hmm. or even associated with Christ. I, I found that very hard to wrap my heart around yeah. at first. That's, I mean, I can't imagine what you felt like just seeing people walk out. You're like, here I am, came to the land of opportunity. You know, they're going to accept me just as I am, especially you would think those in the Christian circle. I mean, that must have been so hard. I found the Christian circle much more judgmental than, than just the people that I met kind of on a, on a daily basis. But the other thing that was hard for me in my twenties was that when I was just a young girl, my father committed suicide. Mm. Um, but it, that kind of came after. He had a massive brain injury and mm. had attacked me before he took his own life. And just as a child, I thought, you know, there, there's something wrong with me. You know, if, if your own mm. dad, who at one point really loved you, I mean, I was my dad's best buddy, seemed to hate me in the end. I grew up with, even though I gave my life to Christ when I was 11, mm-hmm. I grew up with such a complete, uh, overwhelming sense of shame, you know, thinking that I could never really let anybody get too close to me because if you did, you might see what my father saw. So even though at, back in those days as an artist or, you know, I worked some in television, you could say I was quite well known, but I was desperately lonely. I lived a very lonely life because I thought I, I cannot do anything to mess up God's love. If you can lose your earthly father's love, you can lose your heavenly father's love. So I really felt like God's love was based on whether I was doing a good job or not. Mm. So many of us, I think, struggle with that, you know, and just thinking that we have to perform, especially those that are just kind of wired more towards that, you know, Mm -hmm. the desire to perform and to do well. And so what did that journey kind of look like for you to be like, oh, wait, that is not uh, at all what God wants from me? Well, I had been struggling for some time with with severe clinical depression. And I didn't even know that Mm. that was possible if you're a Christian. I mean, nobody talked about that in the circles I moved in. And, but I found myself, I felt like I was disappearing a little bit more every day. And I would, Mm. um, and at that point, I'm on a Christian everyday talk show on television. Mm. So if you just were flipping through channels and you came across, it would look on the outside as if everything was together. Right. But it, but inside, I was just kind of falling apart a little bit more every day. And you know, I used to laugh. Mm. I used to tease my mom when I was growing up. Her favorite scripture verse was from Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, mm-hmm. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And I used to say to her mom, I would just like to see the plans. If I could make a few suggestions, <laughs> then I'll sign <laughs> off on the plans. But Right. <laughs> but what I know now at this age, looking back, is... The mercy of God in, because I don't think I knew how to ask for help. I thought, I thought, I just have to get through this life and then I'll get to heaven. 
But but God allowed my life to really hit the wall at 100 miles an hour while mm. I was on a live show one morning. Um, a guest asked me an unexpected, kind question, and I wasn't expecting it, and I started to cry. Mm. And I hadn't done that in years, and I could not pull myself together. And by that evening, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital, same age as my dad. Oh, man. Wow. I can't, yeah, that is, what, what age was that? I was, by that point, I was 34. Mm-hmm. And so did you feel like you kind of just were having to hide your depression? Like you just thought no one could know that this is really what's going on because here I am on a live talk show every day. I think there was just, I, th- I think I thought it was just me, that I just had this innate sadness in me. Mm-hmm. That I could, you know, I could be there for other people, and, and 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 the interesting thing was, I mean, I was working on a Christian program. I was working at the Christian Broadcasting Network, and all the staff knew that if they wanted to come into my office and tell me anything, they could do that, and it would never go further than the two of us on our knees at the throne of mercy. But I would never have dreamt of asking mm-hmm. anyone for help. So I think, you know, God just kindly allowed somebody first brick out of the wall Mm. and and I came crashing down and it's one of the kindest things that God has ever allowed to happen in my life Mm. so did you feel like that was really kind of just like a turning point for you and just your relationship now have you have you struggled with that since then what did it look like to kind of from that moment on in your relationship with God and and your depression yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question, Emma, because, I mean, up until that point, I had worked, I worked for the BBC in London. I hosted a live rock gospel music show. Um, I went to seminary. I I worked with Billy Graham and his crusades. I mean, I'd, I'd done all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff within the Christian community. But that first night when I ended up in the hospital, and I remember just lying on the on the floor of my room, and the only two words that I could get out through um, tears flowing down my face were just help me. Mm-hmm. And I, f- I felt as if I was at the end of myself. And in some ways I was, I mean, the, the having to hold it all together and pretend I was okay. It was just, I mean, that was busted. Yeah. That was blown. But what I discovered in, in the hospital, and I was there for a month diagnosed with severe clinical depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. I discovered mm-hmm. The truth of Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted mm. and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I really, I realized for the very first time, God's love for me was not based on anything I brought to the table. It was based on the finished work of Christ. Mm. Oh, that's such a good truth. And it's interesting how, <laughs> it's interesting how God can take us to some of the most rough dark moments in our life for us to understand a simple truth like that, you know? And it's not that he's like, oh, clearly I'm going to have to go real far with Sheila or she's not going to understand that this is the God that I am. But, but I think he does kind of allow us to go Mm -hmm. through those hard things and, and walks with us through it to teach us about him and his character. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally 
agree with that. And I think some of the most powerful Psalms are the ones that I relate to the most were written at some of the darkest times in David's life. Like that Mm. one that I just quoted, Psalm 34, he was at a devastating place. You know, he was on the run from King Saul. He had just lied to a priest and it was ultimately going to cost that man and many other people their lives. He pretended to be insane. And now he's been thrown out of a city and he's in a cave and he's by himself. And, but out of that dark, dark place, not only did he write, you know, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, he also wrote, um, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No mm-hmm. shadow of shame will touch their faces. Now, I almost don't, I, I almost kind of question people now who've never been through anything. Because I think it's when your faith is shaken and all the stuff that you think matter falls away. And what you're left with is this awesome, intimate relationship mm-hmm. with a God who is extremely fond of us. Amen. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, it's it looks different for everybody. It's all of our stories are so different. And I think that's what's so cool is that no one can argue with you, Sheila, mm-hmm. about what you went through. No one can tell you that you weren't on the floor saying, help me, God. Right. Um, And no one can argue with what he did in your heart. And that's what I think is so beautiful about our stories and just the ways that God uses that um, in whatever way he chooses, because we can't change hearts. You know, it's like, sure, we wish we could. We'd probably both have a list of people. We'd say, man, I've been praying for this person for forever. But ultimately, it's not up to us. Um, But he gives us our stories, which... I just love to hear. I love to hear stories like that. And so post, you know, that kind of turning point in your life and and now all that God has done in and through that and you just being able to share your story, you know, um, over the last however many years is just so incredible in the ways that he has used you in that. And most recently you have a devotional, yes, for some younger girls. So what's kind of like the age group? that your devotional is for and kind of tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I began to write on prayer and I didn't intend to write it as a book to be published. Mm. I just felt Lord, you know, I asked the Holy spirit to show me areas in my life where there was a weakness or just needed to pay attention to, because I love to study the word of God. It's kind of like my hobby. I love speaking. I love all that stuff. But I felt like prayer was my weakest area. So I just took like, I don't know, 18 months and read everything I could that people had written on prayer. And Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, sometimes she was like my spiritual mentor. So mm-hmm. Sometimes when Billy was off on crusades, I would go to the house and stay with her. And she would say things like, okay, Sheila, if you're studying something, don't just read what's current. Go as far back as you possibly can. So I would go back to like the third and fourth centuries and all the early church fathers and how they would write that the Psalms are like a gymnasium for your soul, that that's how you learn to pray. And 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 then eventually I, one night on Facebook, I just threw out a question and I said, okay, girls, when I say the word prayer, what comes to mind? And I said, now don't say what you think you're supposed to say. <laughs> say what you really think. Talk so to we, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it would be things like... Um, I get bored um, or I get distracted or mm. why, why bother praying if God already knows what he's going to do or some that had more weight. You know, I prayed that God would save my marriage and he didn't. And mm. so I, I realized there was a need. So that's when I wrote Praying Women. But when I was reading the audiobook of Praying Women, I kept thinking, 
oh man, I wish I'd known this when I was 10, 11, Aww. 12, yeah. 13. And so that's that's when I sat down and I and I wrote Praying Girls for basically ages between like 10 and 14 of mm. just trying to talk to girls about what prayer really is, that it's not this thing you check off your list, you know, yeah. it's, it, that it's this conversation, ongoing conversation with somebody who loves you and you get to come on your worst days and on your best days. And when you blow it and when you hate the way you look and when somebody's bullying you, you get to talk to God about all of it. Hmm. That's such a need for that age too. You know, I, I started this podcast out of feeling like God was saying, you know, or just my, um, desire to see more out there for, um, specifically ladies in their twenties. Cause I yeah. am in my twenties. And so it was like, hang on, what about us? You know, yeah. uh, yeah. there's a lot for moms and, you know, older women. And I think it's great. And I learned from all of that as well. But what about us? And I also think that about the younger generation, it's like, yeah, why not start there? Let's build mm-hmm. a foundational practice of what it looks like to not just, you know, say, okay, what are some ways we can get close to God, read our Bible, mm-hmm. pray, you know, just the, yeah, we know that, sure, but what does it look like in the day in, day out kind of deal? And so what would you say you're like really hoping for that younger generation? I mean, we we need to be thinking about them and the, this insane world we are living in right now and, and how um, that's affecting them. Yeah, absolutely. And And one of the things that I was writing in it is like, you know, at the moment, some schools are closed. Some churches are closed. It's mm-hmm. like everything is different. You're separated from your friends. You can, I mean, like for me, I went to a meeting the other day and we were supposed to be distanced, but this girl came up and just hugged me and then mm-hmm. apologized. And I'm like, oh no, thank you so much. Thank you so much. But I want, to, I want the girls to know God is not closed. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, when you're feeling, when you don't, and you get to be angry with God, you know, that was something that was really important for me when raising our son, when he would go through all sorts of stages and letting him know, you don't clean yourself up to come to God, you come the way you are. uh, And that's how you're welcomed. And he will help you process things. And you don't need fancy words, you just need to show up. Mm. Oh, that hit me so hard. God is not closed. I mean, that's just it's so true right now. And I I just wonder about our young girls and how this is all impacting them and just their hearts and their souls and Mm -hmm. not really knowing how to process a lot of it right now. Um, and, and prayer can be such a big part of that, of that, of that processing and what it looks like to, to teach young girls to how to talk to him. And so you know, could we maybe translate that a little bit now to, to my 20 somethings? And it's, it's becoming super hard to be a believer right now Mm -hmm. and to, and, and openly proclaim that and, and live it out. Um, and so for us, you know, do you kind of just have some encouragement for us just navigating our world right now and, and, and how also how prayer kind of incorporates itself into that. 
Yeah, you know, I wrote um, a couple of books back. I wrote a book called "It's Okay Not to Be Okay," mm-hmm. and and, I, and at the beginning of it, the preface, I wrote um, a letter to my twenty-one-year-old self. Mm-hmm. You know, of what I would want to tell myself um, that she didn't have to try so hard, that she didn't have to be so hard on herself, that she didn't have to doubt herself so much. And now I would say, don't pay so much attention to social media because mm-hmm. it's it is brutal out there. I mean, no matter what, like I did, a, um, one of the things I get to do through a, a TV program, a part of now called Life Life Today, is that we set up feeding programs in villages in, in Africa where it's very mm. remote. So we, you know, we have to drive for hours and we'll camp in tents and just talk to the village chief and find out what they need and then mm. set up feeding programs. And I love it. And I just happened to mention something about it on social media and I was blasted. Who do you think you are as a white woman thinking that you can just come and tell us all how we should be living? And it's like, part of me is like, no, no, no. But but it's just, and I thought, no, it's just, it's the temperature at the moment of our nation. The Mm -hmm. people are just mad. And the people who attack us the most, it's usually about some area in their own life that they're struggling in. So I've tried to learn, I would say to to 20-year-olds, don't take everything so personally because there's a lot of mean stuff out there at the moment. And that's mm-hmm. when, why you have to know who you are and like who you are. Like when Christian was little, every night when after we'd said our prayers and I would turn the light off and I'd go to the door and I'd stop and turn around and I would say to him, who does mommy love? And he would put his little hand on his cheek and he would say, this boy. Oh my I, gosh. <laughs> I make that a habit because sometimes, you know, I'll, if you, when we look at ourselves in the mirror and it's just like, oh, good night, Vienna, you know, we just look, it's just, I say to myself, which girl does Jesus love? This girl. Hmm. And that's where, that's, that's the identity I accept. You know, when I was checked into the psych hospital, the first question from my psychiatrist was, who are you? And I said, Sheila Walsh. He said, no, I know your name. <laughs> who are you? And I said, I'm the co-host of the 700 Club. He said, I didn't ask what your job title was, Sheila. I asked, who are you? And I said, I do not have a clue. But by the time I left, a month later, and he called out the window as I'm going to my car, and he said, Sheila, who are you? And I said, I am Sheila Walsh, daughter of the King of Kings. Mm. And that is my identity. Yeah. And then you could actually say it with not just the knowledge. Sure, that was probably in your brain somewhere. Yeah, Sheila, daughter of the King. No, you were able to say and believe with everything that you are, that that's who you are. And it's so true that we have to be so careful with not taking things personally because it's so easy. I think, cause I think we just are still transitioning so much out of caring what people think. Um, it's like this fine line of, Oh man, you know, I'm not, I'm not back in my days anymore of like, just that that's your whole world. You're always caring about what others think of you to no, I realize that that's not it, but I'm still having to retrain my brain to not go there, you know? And so having those reminders is, is very necessary. And you know, the interesting thing that I discovered not a while ago, I was part of something called women of faith. Actually, I think you said Mm -hmm. you went to Mm -hmm. women of faith, but, uh, and they were quite well-known speakers and musicians and, you know, Natalie Grant, lots of other people. One night we always had a prayer meeting before we came out into the arena. And one night I was just feeling really bad. And, and I, 
I, in my prayer, I just said, God, I can't get away from this feeling like I don't belong. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that the other people are thinking we could have got somebody else who would have been better. And <laughs> one, and one after one after one, everybody said the same. And I thought, this is wild. We all sit here, wow. think, you know, pretend we've got it all together. But the truth is, even the people we look to and we think, oh man, she's really got her act together and look at her hair or look at whatever. It's, it's like inside, we all mm. have that longing to belong and be accepted, but, but we have this little niggling feeling that maybe we're not. Mm-hmm. Because the enemy is rude and doesn't want yeah. you guys to go out there and proclaim the name of the Lord. That's exactly right. But he and- is a liar. That's right. And you're the daughter of a king. Yeah. <laughs> it's not funny. It's true. But I'm but I'm laughing because it's I just want to laugh in his face at that. <laughs> yeah, me too. But it's so true. I mean, you think of, oh, of course, you know, even, you know, if I'm sitting in the audience at Women of Faith, oh, those ladies have it together. I mean, they right, are right. preaching the word of God. And it's like, you don't know. You don't know what's going on in their hearts and their minds. And yep. and ultimately it's we're all just being used um in in the best way uh right. by the King of Kings to to proclaim his name. Um and it's not That's that exactly right. and it's not that, you know, Sheila Walsh is higher on the list, but you're nope. pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you and are too. He thinks you're pretty awesome and he thinks I'm pretty awesome too. <laughs> Right. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> but it is so hard to just just figure out that confidence in the day to day, you know? Yeah. Um, of just remembering that. Is there do you have any like just kind of day to day tips, tricks, things that you do to really um ground yourself, remind yourself of what is true about you, what God says is true about you? Yeah, I do. Um, Every single morning, my husband and I live in a townhouse and the middle floor, there's a little balcony. And I go out on the balcony every morning and I read three Psalms out loud. And Mm -hmm. I read them out loud because I want my ears to hear what my eyes are reading. Because some days I feel good and some days I don't feel good. But that's always true no matter how I feel. And -hmm. then I do something that my son used to do when he was traveling with me at Women of Faith. Every now and again, um, we'd be coming home late at night and he would be marching through the airport with his little Thomas the Tank Engine backpack. Uh, And sometimes he would just stop and he would raise his arms up. And he didn't say a word because he knew I heard him. He was saying, Mom, I'm tired. And I would just pick him up and hold him close. So every morning, Emma, I go outside Mm -hmm. and I raise my arms up. And it's not even as an act of worship. It's just me saying, Dad, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And just allowing my father to hold me and remind me of who I am. Mm, that's good it's you know simple things like that that can be so symbolic of just just surrender like a like a posture of surrender just stopping for a moment you know for me it's hard because I'm like oh alarm clock snooze 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 you know okay Mm -hmm. I finally got up okay I need to do this 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 but making it a priority okay just stop for a moment mm-hmm. before you're going to, you're going to go, go, go the rest of your day. Absolutely. <laughs> and so let's stop for yeah. just a second. So I love that. I love that. I might steal it. Um, <laughs> Please do. 
there's no new idea under the sun, right? Uh, absolutely <laughs> not. But even just even if you're if it, if somebody's in a car and you're at a stop sign, you're waiting. You can raise your arms up. It's just it's an attitude. It's just like lifting your heart and your face up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I I'm not even embarrassed anymore when I drive to work and I'm <laughs> screaming, you know, whatever worship song is on and lifting my hands or waving my hands back and forth. And people look over like, what is wrong with her at seven AM, you know? Good for you. <laughs> and and that's just what works, you know, it's finding what works for you um mm-hmm. to just find that posture of surrender and get your head and heart in the right space for sure. So, okay, Sheila, let's go to our last three questions. I ask these to every guest that comes on the show. Um, and the first one, and you've kind of given me some tidbits of this throughout the way, but, um, what is like one thing that you just really wish you knew as a 20 something? Moisturize your neck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. No 20-year-old thinks they need to moisturize your neck. Take it from me. Moisturize your neck. You'll thank yourself later. Uh, that's true. I don't think I do that. <laughs> I do. I definitely moisturize my face. Okay, tomorrow I'll start. Go a little lower. I'll start lifting my hands and moisturizing my neck. Excellent. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Next. What are you reading, listening to, watching any of those things? Um, at the moment I'm actually reading a book, Elizabeth Elliot. Um, Ooh. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She was, yes. uh, she's a pretty amazing woman whose husband was killed by the Alka Indians. And when she was still a young woman with a three-year-old daughter, she decided mm-hmm. to stay in the Amazon and communicate with the very people who killed her husband. Mm. And it's just the most, it's a very honest biography taken from her journal. So I'm loving that. But listening to, um, I don't know if you've heard of a Scottish artist called Lewis Capaldi. Um, He was actually nominated for an award this year in America. He's he's from Mm -hmm. Glasgow, like 20 minutes from where I live. But he's just just this great alternate artist with a beautiful, beautiful singing voice and really sweet Mm -hmm. songs. So I like him. Yeah. I love it. Have you been watching much? Are you are you much of a TV movie gal or? I am a binge watch Netflixing girl. Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been binge watching the Great British Baking Show on oh, Netflix. So good. Yes. So so good. Unfortunately, I've also been making some of those things. So I've now decided <laughs> that my pajamas weigh sixteen pounds. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. How did they start gaining weight? Your pajamas. I, That's I do not know. It's a COVID pandemic thing. I understand. I know. I'm like, do I need to buy new pants? <laughs> it must be the pant problem. It's, they it's shrunk. a pant problem. They yes. shrunk. Yes. Uh-huh. Every every single woman in the world right now says amen to that. I know it. None of my coworkers, they're like, yep, nope, can't fit into our pants. None of us. So at least we're not alone. At least, at least we're all getting fat together. Okay. (laughs) All right. And lastly, what is refreshing you these days? Anything that's just totally bringing you life? My two dogs, um, Barry and I have, uh, 
a little Bichon called Tink and a little Yorkie oh. called Maggie. And I can't tell you how much I love our dogs. They're just the sweetest. Like I'm working at the moment on a new book. I'm just in the beginning. And so they just they're just right by my feet in fact the interesting thing the other day was maggie the yorkie is the one who's just like she just glues herself to me and i was oh. looking for her the other day and i couldn't find it and i realized it's because she was right she was right on my leg <laughs> and i thought you know what lord i would like to be like that with you i would like to be so close to you mm. that it's almost like a, people can't really see where i am right just used to it you know yeah just normal yeah. just absolutely part of it, like a leech Mm. Yep, like a leech for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I love cooking as well. I like to cook my husband mm. um, dinner. And, and, we, and we also, actually, well, and we never miss Wheel of Fortune. Oh, yep. Uh-huh. My dad yeah. and my grandpa are with you on that one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Your dad and your grandfather. That's exactly my, those are my people. <laughs> Not to make you feel aged there. I, I no. enjoy it. I enjoy it as well, but I wouldn't say that it's on my nightly to-do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I respect you for that. Later on with a well-moisturized neck, you'll be grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to be well-moisturized and guessing uh, Wheel of Fortune puzzles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on today, Sheila. It was such just an honor. One, two, so fun to be able to have a conversation with you and just to be able to take away so many great things from what you said. So thank you so oh. much. Thank you, Emma. And thank you for what you're doing. I love the fact that you've stepped up in your own tribe and you're making a difference. Mm. It is my pleasure. Trust me, my pleasure. Thank you guys so much for listening in today, and I pray the wisdom the Lord has revealed to Sheila is just a good reminder to you today, and may the Holy Spirit continue to remind us how the Lord wants to talk with us. Also, I hope you um, start moisturizing your neck just like I do now. So thank you, Sheila, for such wisdom in so many areas of our life, including moisturizing our necks. Stay fresh, my people. 